The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle them with the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. And may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. And O Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to What Catholics Believe. This is part two of the consideration of the instrumentum laboris prepared for the, Fra the Francis Synod, which is going to take place in Rome in October of this year. Francis has called for a synod on the Amazon and the church's work in the Amazon. And so we're considering this uh, preparatory document, actually the, the Shema, you might call it, the, the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document that is going to be brought to and used as a basis for the considerations and actions and decisions of this synod in October. Now, we started with a uh, part one on this subject, which talked about the, uh, the idea that the pagan ideas that are not only being introduced, but promoted by this instrumentum laboris, and which are proposed to be the, the subject and also the result of this synod. I mentioned uh, the connection of these ideas expressed in this instrument of labor, instrumental laboris, with uh, Gnosticism and with modernism. And I want to develop that point a bit tonight, especially when we come to the practical uh, recommendations uh, that are put before the Senate to approve. I want to mention here that uh, throughout this document, uh, the paragraphs are numbered and so I'll refer to the numbers of the paragraphs. Uh, so if you want to go and check and read for yourselves, you certainly can do so. I think it's important to know what this document says, though, to see what is being proposed. And uh, to be on the watch for that then in October, to see what actually is made of these ideas. Now, in number 24 of this document, we're reading about territory, life, and God's revelation, as it says... And it starts with a statement, in the Amazon, life is inserted into, linked with, and integrated in territory. Now that statement sounds rather self-obvious. In other words, if one were to say that life exists in place, uh, we would say that that is probably true here on Earth. So uh, that would... They, that would not only say something that is self-evident, but it also says something that is really quite useless. However, to a modernist, there's always a deeper meaning here. And so, if you read that paragraph, 
And here I'm looking actually at number 19, I should say. Number 19 in the, uh, in the document. It follows up that statement. In the Amazon, life is inserted into, linked with, and integrated in territory. We read further and say that this has meaning for faith. In other words, it is there in the territory that one experiences God in history. And you notice that this is a key expression in the modernist glossary here, experience, to experience God. That's what faith is, they say. All faith begins with experiencing God. Uh, and so the, the document says that uh, the territory of the Amazon is a theological place, they say. Uh, now, when, when the church, the true, true Catholic church talks about a theological place, they're talking about a place of revelation, of divine revelation from which we can learn, we can gain truths, and the truths then give us an understanding, that is, the theology. But he's referring to the Amazon itself as being this place of revelation. And so that's why they say it's a particular source of God's revelation. They say it's a, an epiphatic place, a place of manifestation, God's manifestation of himself. Curious, right? And they refer us to Francis's Laudato Si, where he says, soil, water, mountains, everything is, as it were, a caress of God. And there again, we get to the mythology aspect of Gnosticism, modernism, and of course, this uh, synodal document here. In any case, uh, he goes on here in number 22 to even uh, intensify that mythological idea of the land and the rivers singing and he says, this boundless beauty in the Amazon are a song and um, a mosaic, a mosaic of art, you know. And uh, in the, so far as they're talking about, uh, in the, this document, the idea of um, God's work, if we were talking legitimately about this being God's work, then we could uh, rhapsodize about these things. The trouble is, we're dealing with people who want everything to be myth and don't want doctrine. They want everything to be myth because myth changes and myth is very unclear and foggy and murky and it can actually evolve. Whereas dogma, the very nature of dogma and doctrine is that it doesn't evolve. So in any case, moving along on here, uh, we now come to number 24 and I'm going to read that word for word because I think it says so much, it encapsulates so much in this particular section of the document, numbers 24, 25, and 26. And under the heading of territory of hope and of good living, here's what it says, number 24. The Amazon is where there is the possibility of good living and the promise and hope of new paths for life. Life in the Amazon is integrated and united with the territory. There is no separation or division between the parts. This unity includes all of existence, work, rest, human relations, rights and celebrations. Everything is shared. Private spaces, so typical of modernity, are minimal. Life proceeds on a communal path where tasks and responsibilities are distributed and shared for the sake of the common good. There is no place for the idea of an individual detached from the community or its territory. Now think about these words for a minute. Is it, are they not describing 
communism, like the, 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 the idyllic communist way of life here? Is this not what is being proposed as the ideal? Especially where they say that even private spaces are minimal. So the opportunities to have any privacy are minimal. This is a development of modernity, they say here, not the idea of the indigenous peoples of the Amazon. And so everything is in a communal path. It's all community, everything. Everything is shared for the sake of the common good. My goodness, it sounds like uh, some poetic uh, writing of Karl Marx here. Um, number 25, the life of Amazon communities, not yet influenced by Western civilization, is reflected in the beliefs and rights regarding the actions of spirits. Now, please remember, this is what is being held up to us as an ideal that has to teach the church how the church itself should be. Now, of course, Francis is talking about the modern church, the new order church that he's in the process of bringing to completion. But he wants us to think he's, he means the Catholic Church. And this is what he's proposing. The life of Amazon communities, not yet influenced by Western civilization, is reflected in the beliefs and rights regarding the actions of spirits of the many named divinity acting with and in the territory, with and in relation to nature. This worldview is captured in the mantra of Francis, the document says, everything is connected. So what they're actually saying in this document is that Francis's mantra, everything is connected, actually reflects or captures, is what they use here, captures this idea of Amazonian pagan spirituality. The beliefs and rights regarding the actions of spirits. The many-named divinity acting with and within the territory. The many-named divinity, that's all we have many different names for one divinity. That's not the Amazonian religion, though. The Amazonian religion is animism, in which there are a multiplicity of spirits who are actually inhabiting the territory and all things in it. Okay? So we have to understand this is like the extreme of paganism, that Francis himself is taking as his own expression, everything is connected. That's what he means when he uses the word integral and saying we have to have integral uh, education and integral ecology and so on and so forth. That is what he's pushing here. So the next section, uh, 26, now says the integration of creation of life considered as a totality that embraces all of existence is the basis of traditional culture that is transmitted from generation to generation through listening to ancestral wisdom, a living reserve of indigenous spirituality and culture. This is what Francis is proposing for the church, his church to follow. This wisdom inspires care and respect for creation, clearly aware of its limits and prohibiting its abuse, to abuse nature is to abuse the ancestors, the brothers and sisters, creation, and the creator. To abuse all these is to mortgage the future, it says here. And you know, it's astounding to find that in this document, the writers are upholding tradition, 
but it's not Catholic tradition. It's pagan tradition. They're speaking in favor of pagan tradition. They're saying we have to replace Catholic tradition with pagan tradition. Essentially is what they're saying. Um, they, they continue on that theme about uh, upholding tradition, but the tradition of the ancestors, the, the indigenous peoples of the Amazon, they say this is the tradition that they want to prevail. This is the tradition which the church must learn from, the matter of spirits and the matter of rituals and ceremonies. But we're talking about pagan rituals and pagan ceremonies involving multiplicities of spirits basically infesting, infesting the earth the territory of the Amazon. And uh, so we, you know, there are those who, who question whether it could really be proposing this, this document uh, for the Synod in October has received a lot of notoriety and has been broadly denounced in the Novus Ordo by the conservatives, including cardinals and bishops and laity within the Novus Ordo they have blasted this as a non-Catholic and an anti-Catholic document, so much so that people find what they say to be rather outrageous and shake their head and say, well, it couldn't possibly say that. It does say that. It says every bit of that. In fact, it says much more than they are saying. It actually says much more that is condemnable than they are condemning. Uh, often they're focusing on the the lesser matters rather than going right to the heart of the matter of how blasphemous this really is and how heretical it really is. And it has been called heretical, even by members of the hierarchy of the Novus Ordo who recognized it is heretical. But I want to, want to point out here that uh, as we continue on now, they're still talking about these new paths. So the church is going to be led down these new paths by indigenous spirituality of the Amazon. And in number 29, and again, I'm going to read this section again because it says so much. Number 29, it says, The original peoples of the Amazon have much to teach us. Now, remember, this is a synodal document here. So he says, much to teach us. He's speaking on behalf of uh, the church. He's speaking on behalf of the hierarchy. He's speaking on behalf of the bishops and cardinals and Francis himself. And so, the, but the expression, the original peoples, they talk about the indigenous peoples, those who actually have lived, uh, uh, lived in the rainforest, grown up there, learned its native culture from the ancients and so on. But when they talk about the original peoples of the Amazon, now they're really changing stories here. Now they're trying to go back thousands of years to determine, as though they're appealing to the, the very first human life to uh, inhabit the Amazon. This is really a stretch here, obviously. But they have a, a, a great deal to teach us. The new paths of evangelization, it says, must be built in dialogue with the ancestral wisdom in which the seeds of the word become manifest. Do you understand what this is saying here? So the new paths of preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, evangelization, he says, must be built in dialogue with the ancestral wisdom of the paganism of the Amazon the ancient belief of the Amazon, the belief in a multiplicity of spirits infesting 
living and non-living things throughout the Amazon. Rituals and ceremonies and all of this. This is the ancestral wisdom of the Amazon here. And they talk about the seeds of the word of God somehow being contained within this. The mythology of the Amazonian paganism. Hard to imagine, really, but this is exactly what it's saying here. And it goes on to say that this actually aligns with a journey that began with the Second Vatican Council for the whole church. So they're not just talking about the Novus Ordo's activity in the Amazon. They want this to be the, the model that goes throughout the entire Novus Ordo church here, to learn from the pagan cultures. Okay, And the unique diversity of the Amazon region, biological, religious, and cultural suggests a new Pentecost. Inconceivable. A new Pentecost. As the church is going to learn from this pagan culture, the church is going to experience this new Pentecost as though she's going to be enlightened, going to be enlightened by this paganism, by this pagan culture. And as though it were the work of the of the of the spirit, um, well, it'll, it certainly is the work of a spirit, but it's not the holy, not the one they they like to sometimes refer to as the Holy Spirit. It's not that. So it goes on in number thirty three to say that uh, this synod on the Amazon is a great opportunity for the church to discover the incarnate and active presence of God. The church is going to discover this. About time their church discovered this. But where are they going to discover it? In the most diverse manifestations of creation. That's where they're going to discover it. They're going to discover it in the spirituality of original peoples. That's where they're going to discover it. The spirituality, the pagan spirituality of original peoples in the expressions of popular religiosity. That's what it says. The church is going to discover the incarnate and active presence of God in the expressions of popular religiosity, of pagan culture. Inconceivable. But this is what modernism is all about. The document goes on, number 34, to say this is part of the signs of the times. And it must extend to all the corners of the planet because this is a time of grace for the church, especially, and for the Amazon. Time of grace. This, this dialogue, this intercultural dialogue. Now, to skip ahead to number 39 here, there's a lot, again, that is, could be said in here, but unfortunately, it often says it over and over and over again. With the same terminology, there are many allusions that are made here that are worthy of note, but we don't have time to examine all of these things now, unfortunately, or fortunately. But let's skip ahead to number 39 here, because in number 39, again, we find something worthy of special attention. Under the heading Dialogue and Learning, the document says, Many peoples of the Amazon are inherently people of dialogue and communication. Inherently. Isn't that wonderful? Unlike other peoples who are not 
inherently people of dialogue. The pagan indigenous peoples of the Amazon, many of them are inherently people of dialogue and communication. This is, these are such great virtues, and they are to be found in so many of the people of the Amazon almost by nature. There is a broad and essential arena of dialogue between the Amazon's spiritualities, creeds, and religions that require, requires an approach of the heart to the different cultures. Again, quintessential modernist thinking, quintessential modernist speak. That a broad essential area of dialogue, and this is between the spiritualities, creeds, and religions of the Amazon. It has to be an approach of the heart. Again, the myth, not the head, not the intelligence, not reason, not really what the Catholic Church understands as faith and teaches as faith, but it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the feeling. It's a matter of the religious sentiment, as St. Pius X said in Pescendi, of the modernists, that this is where faith takes place. It's a matter of the heart. And so it goes on to say we can't relativize our own convictions, but they already have done so completely. Because our own convictions are not really convictions if they're merely matters of the heart. It's not a matter of truth. But you see, the modernist sees truth as what you feel, not what you think. The rational cannot really know truth. It's the experience of the heart. That is the arbiter of truth. And so we have to find other ways we have to find other pathways to decipher the inexhaustible mystery of God. You see, the whole idea of, of revelation is inverted, subverted, and perverted by this document, as it is by the modernists. We are left to decipher the inexhaustible mystery of God. Insincere, and he goes on to say here, insincere openness to the other just like a corporatist attitude that reserves salvation exclusively for one's own creed. Well, that's destructive of the very creed itself, he says. If one absolutism, once one creed is being the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, if one says one's own creed is what is salvific and is saving, as, for example, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or any Catholic cradle, right? Any Catholic uh, confession of faith. To say that that is necessary for salvation, to say that that is a body of truth that is alone salvific, that destroys the very nature of the creed, it says here. What insanity this is. It is pure modernism. And so we have to reject the idea of a reserving salvation exclusively for one's own creed. That applies, he's saying, to Catholics. We cannot think like that. It's wrong. He says the church is actually is in a journey in search of her own identity. Towards unity in the Holy Spirit, he says. The church is trying to move toward that unity. We discover our identity from encounter with the other. It's not God who tells us who we are. It's not God who reveals who he is and thus 
that he as creator means that we are creatures, that he is all good and we are sinful creatures. It's not a matter of divine revelation. We have to discover our identity in the encounter with the other, the other person, see, who are non, not ourselves, who are distinct from ourselves in their belief, in their culture, and so on. From the differences and coincidences that show us the inscrutability of the reality and mystery of the presence of God. That's where we find this. In cultural diversities around us. Again, pure modernism. But we see where it's leading. It's leading to the one world religion of Gnosticism. And again, one could devote oneself to reading virtually everything here. But uh, it is in the opening part of this, the first actual big part of this document that one really sees the statement of the modernist mind. And the rest of the document actually applies it. In number 42, the document goes on, a prophetic church is one that listens to the cries and songs of pain and joy. At the same time as they inspire songs, shed light on the situations people live and into it possible solutions and transformative changes. There are people who sing their history and also their present, such that those who hear the songs can glimpse, can outline their future. In short, a prophetic church, a favorite phrase of Francis, a prophetic church in the Amazon is one that dialogues, that knows how to seek agreements, and that from an option for the poor and other testimony of life, seeks concrete proposals in favor of an integral ecology, a church with the capacity for discernment and audacity in the face of the abuses of peoples and the destruction of their territories, and responds without delay to the cry of the earth. Now, this isn't just jargon. This actually means something to modernists. To hear without delay the cry of the earth and the poor. This is what this document is all about. It's meant to affect change. And so this, this uh, part here, this part one of the document, comes to this conclusion. Life in the Amazon, where water, territory, and the identities and spiritualities of its people are interwoven, invites dialogue and learning about its biological and cultural diversity. The church participates in and generates learning processes that open pathways of ongoing formation in the meaning of life, integrated into its territory and enriched by wisdom and ancestral experiences. Such processes invite us to respond honestly and prophetically to the clamor for the life of the peoples and land of the Amazon. This implies a renewed sense of the mission of the church in the Amazon, that starting from the encounter with Christ goes out to meet the other, initiating processes of conversion, and this, by the way, we always have to realize the process of conversion in these new paths is the church being converted. In this context, room is now open up, opening up to recreate ministries appropriate to this historical moment. It is the right moment to listen to the voice of the Amazon and to respond as a prophetic and Samaritan church. So you see, they close this first 
part of the document by saying they're, where they're heading. They're heading to create or recreate ministries now that are appropriate for the Amazon here. But then they've already told you that what they're affecting in the Amazon, they want to be a model for what they're going to do throughout the world here. They made it very clear. Now, part two begins with the title, Integral Ecology, the Cry of the Earth and the Poor. And uh, here they start out, number 44, by saying they're concerned about what threatens the subsistence of the people, what threatens their culture and their spirituality. So that the Nova Soda Church under, under Francis and his synod is going to come to the rescue of the pagan spirituality of the Amazonian peoples. And not only is it going to rescue this spirituality, it's going to adopt it. It's going to integrate the pagan spirituality into the theology of the Novus Ordo. Now, it's important, again, to return to that understanding that the, the common thread of all of these spiritualities and their rites and ceremonies in the Amazon, the indigenous people of the Amazon, concerns animism, the multiplicity of spirits that animate everything and that actually fill everything. And uh, the, as far as the rituals of the Amazon, the ceremonies of the Amazon, they're, they're painted here in very idyllic forms. It's almost like a cross uh, between Jacques Rousseau uh, and uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Rousseau and Margaret Mead. If you were to put them in a blender and turn it on puree, this is what you'd get. Uh, this kind of anthropology that is this mythical anthropology of the, the noble savage here. But in fact, much of the ceremony and ritual of the Amazonian people revolves around, revolves around hallucinogenic drugs. In fact, one of them is becoming very, very popular. And uh, I'll return to that uh, momentarily here because it's very important to note that connection with the ceremonies and the rites of the Amazonian peoples involving hallucinogenic drugs, which take him on these spiritual journeys to discover new worlds and uh, how central this is to their religious practice. In any case, uh, we are going to return to that momentarily, but number 50 here says a great deal. However, in order to promote integral ecology in the daily life of the Amazon, it is also necessary to understand the notion of intergenerational communication and justice, which includes the transmission of ancestral experience, cosmologies, spiritualities, and theologies of the indigenous peoples in terms of care for our common home. Now, again, we're talking about integral ecology, but all of this in the Amazon involves the transmission of ancestral wisdom. This is the ancient paganism, uh, the experience, experience. Remember, that's the key word for, for modernist faith, okay? This is the source of all faith, the ancestral experience here, but also cosmologies, their concept of the world around them which is like a philosophy of the world around them, but also spiritualities, the spirituality of the world. We're talking about their religion here. And theologies, their understanding of God or gods. All of that 
is involved. And all of that has to be taken care of. All of that has to be preserved. All of that has to be dialogued with. All of that has to be taken in and incorporated. We have to learn this. Uh, this is the result of our answering the cry of the Amazon. We have to learn how to live in harmony with nature. The church has come in and colonized and approved the, the, uh, the injustice of colonization and imposing its own religion and its own religious dogma and worship. Now the church must repent of that and must turn the tables and say, now we are here to learn from you. We want to learn your religion. We want to learn your theology. We want to begin to adopt your religious practices. That's the point of this. Uh, in any case, uh, again, moving along here, we come to number 56. Again, it uh, makes a serious point here. It, it gives suggestions. You know, these sections begin to uh, allow the Senate to make practical suggestions of what is to be done and how the Novus Ordo Church is supposed to do this, uh, listen and react and act upon the the lessons from the indigenous people of the Amazons, especially concerning their religion, as it is the basis for their ecology. This is what number 56 suggests as a suggestion, as they say, of the Synod. The challenge presented is great. How to recover the Amazon territory, rescue it from neo-colonial degradation, and restore its authentic and healthy well-being. To the aboriginal communities, we owe their thousands of years of care and cultivation of the Amazon. In their ancestral wisdom, they have nurtured the conviction that all of creation is connected. Remember now, this is Francis's idea too. Francis mirrors and echoes <coughs> the theology of the indigenous aboriginal peoples. All, everything is connected. This deserves our respect, our responsibility. The culture of the Amazon, which integrates human beings with nature, constitutes a benchmark for building a new paradigm of integral ecology. The church should assume in its mission the care for our common home. In other words, this is what the church has to adopt itself. A new paradigm of integral ecology must be the new paradigm for the church. What, sad to say, the world now regards as the Catholic Church. Now, under the heading of immigration, uh, moving along to number uh, 65 in the document, we come to something a little, a little bit irksome. Uh, this is irksome because it is so bold. Uh, remember, St. Pius X said that audacity is a characteristic of the modernist. And so when we read in 65 that immigration in the Amazon has become a real problem, and part of that real problem comes from a growing wave of migration from Venezuela. We realize, well, the reason why there is, at the moment, this growing wave of migration out of Venezuela 
into other parts of South America, including the Amazonian region, is because of a socialist dictator there who is a friend of Francis. And later on, as a matter of fact, Francis also talks about corruption in the Amazon as being a real problem and talks about political leaders who have been in jailed or had to flee. Well, a number of those political leaders who are now in jail are Francis' socialist friends. So for this document to point to this as a problem and an argument in favor of this, it is as duplicitous as one can get. But that's the nature of modernism, isn't it? That's the nature of communism and socialism. They talk about social destabilization, and that is the effect of socialism in South America. And Francis is actually holding up this model society of the indigenous peoples of the Amazon as what he wants to see carry throughout the church and through the church throughout the world. Inconceivable. In any case, um, moving right along here, we come to uh, number 79 here. And we just want to take a look at two more suggestions, actually. Suggestions that are made by the Synod or proposed to be made by the Synod uh, to be put into effect by the church. And in number 79, they talk about the strengthening of the community family structure. What they mean by that, of course, is along pagan lines and in the ancestral wisdom of pagan ritual. Again, they talk about listen to songs learned in the family as a way of expressing prophecy in the Amazonian world. Again, mythology, the mythology of this is so important, like the Gnostics, like the modernists, like all the paganisms of the world. Listen to the songs, and there you find prophetic, the prophetic voice. But also, um, in C, they talk about increasing the role of women, the leadership role of women within the church. Now, when they're talking about adopting new ministries or new forms of ministries, we see what they're go where they're going with this. They're talking about the, the predominance of women in the Amazonian culture and in the tradition of Amazonian culture. They want to increase the influence of women, and they want to do this, as they're going to propose, by including women in ordained ministries. But they'll get to that. I just point that out because they give us hints every now and then of where they're taking us, or we're trying to take us anyway. Uh, by the way, you see the same idea echoed in uh, number 88 of the document, talking about health care. We, we have to listen to the... Uh, the collective knowledge of the elderly, especially women, they are, uh, and by the, the the elderly healers, the ancestral wisdom of healing is at risk here. And here again, Francis wants to, or the synodal fathers are asked to appeal to traditional wisdom, traditional medicine, everything traditional, but for Catholic tradition, which is the, alone something to be condemned and something to be. Uh, left behind. As Francis himself said, the only real tradition of the church is change, which means there is no tradition at all, effectively, as far as he's concerned. But it's the tradition of all the paganisms that he wishes to canonize, 
and incorporate into his new church. Uh, and it goes on to say in 89, therefore it is proposed to value traditional medicine, the wisdom of the elders, and indigenous rituals. Again, we're talking about pagan rituals here. Um, so, in any case, I just thought I would tie that together between 79 and 88. There is an echo going on there. Now, with regard to corruption, here we find that the document talks about systems of corruption, the public officials who have been are in jail or who have fled to avoid being jailed, and how many of them are friends of Francis and socialist would-be dictators, going right back to Maduro himself. Uh, so, you know, again, the, the duplicity of the thought here, trying to influence people, poor, evidently the gullible people who don't know how to process this and what to make of what is being said here. It's, it's really very shameful. Now we go to 84, and in uh, number 84, again, we see an expression of the whole idea of integral health here. And here we see the expression, the appeal to Mother Earth. More and more we find the pagan idea being exalted within this document, being proposed for the Synod's work and its ultimate proclamations through Francis. Talk about the great diversity of life again, over and over again, the native population, an integral sense of life they have, and how we must spread this to the entire planet. The Not only the, the health, but the culture and the spirituality of these people, we must spread to the entire planet. Uh, the Amazon people have the right to health and to, quote, live healthily, which means harmony with what Mother Earth offers us, quote-unquote, okay? A synodal document. Amazing. This is the expression of the neo-pagans today, of the witches, the Wiccans, and so on. It also, by the way, harkens back to uh, the anti-theology of Aleister Crowley, one who is looked upon as the patriarch of all the Satanists in the world, uh, a man who, who actually reveled in the title, The Wickedest Man Alive, Aleister Crowley. He was the one in his Book of Laws in which he talked about how we must bring about the new age of the matriarch, the matriarch, and leave behind the age of the patriarch. This was a central theme also of the psychologists of the, of the cultural revolution, the Marxist cultural revolution. The Marxist culturalism or cultural Marxism that came out of uh, Frankfurt, the Frankfurt School of Germany in the 1920s and 30s, was based upon the idea of rejecting the patriarchal culture and bringing to, uh, into power the matriarchal culture. Satanism of Aleister Crowley, cultural Marxism, and uh, socialism and the modernism and the Gnosticism all come together. They all converge in this. In wanting to break down what they consider the patriarchal culture of Christianity. That's what they wanted. Because what they're really attacking is the idea of God the Father, the fatherhood of God. They want to replace that with Mother Earth and the matriarch. this The matriarch of the Wiccans. And the Satanists, that's what they're after. Make no mistake about it, that's what's behind all of this.
So in any case, uh, we move on um, to 87. It says in number 87, indigenous rituals and ceremonies. Now, the reason why I'm repeating this is to make it clear. They're talking about adopting the religion of these people, not just their knowledge of plants for healing diseases, not just their use of the land and rivers, their religions. Indigenous rituals and ceremonies are essential for integral health because they integrate the different cycles of human life and nature. They create harmony and balance between human beings and the cosmos. They protect life from evils that can be caused by both human beings and other living beings. And so, in other words, these pagan rituals and ceremonies are important to, to really have an integral health, not only a body, but a mind also, and a spirit too. That is why we have to adopt them, you see. We have to collect the knowledge of the elderly, especially the women, therefore, in all the health structures of the church. And again, carrying on uh, further here, under integral education, Again, this is important because this tells you where they want to go with teaching the young here. And again, this first paragraph, number 92, says we have to begin by listening and that this listening process of the work of a synodal church and that process of listening of the synodal church transforms the church itself, he says. It transforms the church. The church transforms into a church that goes out in geographical and structural ways, out of herself. That the teacher becomes the disciple. It says here the bishop also, a teacher, becomes a disciple too. And he listens. And he listens to the voice of Christ speaking through the people of God. The modernist idea, again. Faith being lived from the ground up and taught to the bishops who then teach the, the pontiff who then turns it around and recycles it to the people in, in catchphrases um, and expresses what the faith is at this moment. Um, so they even point out here that Francis himself became a disciple. Francis became a disciple of the religion of the indigenous peoples. When in Puerto Maldonado, he expressed his willingness to listen to the voice of the Amazon. He became their disciple. This is not a good sign. This is not a good sign. And in making proposals in 98 here, they talk about how they, they have to begin to form the young too. And this has to do with the church because notice number 98 talks about and B, the formation of ordained ministries now. They're talking about what they intend to ordain in the church. And here's what they say. The formation plans must reflect a philosophical, theological culture adapted to the cultures of the Amazon, capable of being understood and therefore of nourishing Christian life. Indigenous theology and eco-theology ought to be integrated for this very reason. Indigenous theology has to be incorporated into the training of the ordained ministers that Francis's church is going to give to the Amazon peoples. 
And this is where, this, these are the ones who are going to evangelize them. The ones who have learned their pagan theology. Astounding, right? Astounding. Uh, there's another another expression here that is just so so quintessential, the perfect, to express the modernist idea, and that's in C, formation centers of education for ordained ministers. It says, educational plans are needed to focus on education that reflects one's own culture and respects native languages, and integral education that responds to one's own reality. Oh, isn't that perfect? One's own reality. So now, with the existentialist, we say every, we, 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 each one has his own reality. And that is how he has to be educated in his own reality. And that will restore unity and diversity, they say. They're another one of their mantras here. Uh, so it says the teaching of pan-Amazon indigenous theology is requested. This is what this synod is supposed to request. The teaching of pan-Amazon indigenous theology in all educational institutions. And indeed, it goes on and says, Amazonian Indian theology. It is desirable to deepen existing Amazonian Indian theology, which will allow for a better and greater understanding of indigenous spirituality, and thus avoid committing the historical errors that have violated many original cultures. In other words, teaching them the, the faith, the true gospel, and turning them away from their paganism was, was, a, was a historical error. We now have to learn their theology, their spirituality. It is requested, finally, they say, to take into account the original myths, traditions, symbols, knowledges, rites, and celebrations that include transcendent community and ecological, ecological dimensions, blah, blah, and on and on, okay. So um, now in number two, they go on, they talk about the conversion of the church, how in number one, number 102, they say the church must, must convert, and that conversion of the church involves the church unlearning what she thought she knew, learning now, what she needs to know, and then relearning what she thought she knew in terms of what she now knows for the first time, what she has just learned. So this process of unlearning, learning, and relearning now, this is the conversion the church must go through, and it will bring about a wonder in the church at the wisdom of indigenous peoples. This is the conversion of the church. It's a process of faith. So, um, in any case, I do want to uh, make progress here. Uh, we have to salvage the myths and update community ties. It's the celebrations that, that contribute to the process of ecological conversion, they say here. We have to thank the native peoples for their care of the territory throughout time and recognize in this the ancestral wisdom that forms the basis for a good understanding of integral ecology. Uh, we have to we owe a debt of gratitude to the, to the indigenous peoples of the Amazon for their care of the Amazon. Actually, all of us do. Why? Well, because 
everyone's connected. Everything's connected. There is no privacy. There is no individuality. Actually, the document specifically condemns the idea of individuality. We're all connected. We're all part of each other, you see. And the Gnostic idea ultimately is going to lead us to the present the idea that we all have the spark of the divine in us and we, and we are all part of God, actually. So it goes on now to talk about, uh, again, uh, in part three, a prophetic church in the Amazon is challenges and hope. And the challenge is to relaunch the work of the church in the Amazon according to new paths of a process of enculturation. We have to adopt the culture of the Amazon, which includes its spirituality, its theology, and so on. <coughs> okay, and on and on. And it goes to it goes on to even say the preferential option for the poor is the hermeneutical criterion of this process. And it says the criterion for the church's self-understanding is here. In other words, this is how the church will come to realize who the church itself is. The church will come to realize her own identity by adopting this. It would be laughable if it weren't so tragic, really. So the church has to put on an Amazonian face. And in the process of doing though, so the church is going to continue in its journey toward the universal church, okay? Which is not a reality, but is evolving. It's, it's evolving into that, okay? <coughs> and here you knew that Francis was going to, through his minions and through his, his, uh, his hierarchy, condemn cult, uh, clericalism. But it has to here because they have to lay the groundwork for a new kind of ministry. So they have to condemn the clerical ministry and detach ministry from priesthood here, at least the traditional priesthood of the church. So in number 110, we read, a church with an Amazonian face with its many nuances tries to be an outgoing church rejecting a monocultural, clericalist, and colonial tradition that imposes itself. And rather, it has to embrace the diverse cultural expressions of the Amazonian peoples here. We can't have a... It goes on to say here in number 110, we can't have the application of a monolithic body of doctrine guarded by all and leaving, leaving no room for nuance by which it means contradiction. We can't have that, he says. We need a polyhedric church. They actually use the expression here. A polyhedric church. Now, isn't that a wonderful idea? Whatever happened to the Catholic church here? Now we have a a church which embraces multiple cultures, including pagan cultures, adopts its spirituality, and that gives you a polyhedric church. Okay, So if you want to belong to the polyhedric church, follow this document, follow the Senate, follow Francis. So um, in any case, uh, it goes on to say in number 112 that the church they're realizing will become a participative church, a welcoming church, a creative church, a church in harmony Okay, all of these wonderful things, um, and uh, so on and so forth. Again, I'm, I'm trying to move right along here. It talks about in number 124 the need to decentralize the church, and this decentralization of the church 
definitely involves cult, uh, liturgy. Chapter 3 of this part 3 talks about the celebration of the faith and enculturated liturgy. Now here they're getting down to brass tacks. What are they actually trying to do to the people? What are they trying to do to the members of the church? They're trying to produce an enculturated liturgy, but it's enculturated with pagan practices. And they say that this, the, this requires the decentralization of the authority in the church. So a breakdown, not just a breakdown, a dissolution, a dissolving of the authority of the church as it was instituted by Jesus Christ. This is what the modernists are demanding here. And that is intimately tied to the enculturation of the liturgy <coughs> as it becomes diverse throughout the world. There is no control. It says, the document says that liturgy cannot be reduced to a museum piece. It should not be reduced to be. It can become that, and we should not allow it to. He's referring to the traditional mass here, of course. He says liturgy, really, the way they envision it here, is an expression of one's own religious experience. Again, modernism. But if liturgy is an expression of one's own religious experience, and the religious experience of the indigenous people of the Amazons is paganism, that's what they need. That's what they should have. That's what they have a right to. That's the only valid and worthy religious worship that they can offer, then, a liturgy that is based upon their pagan religious experience. Because that is their truth. A truth that must be accepted and honored and received all throughout the world. Throughout Francis's church and throughout the world. This document then goes on to condemn the rigidity of discipline, which excludes and alienates. Rather, we need pastoral sensitivity, which accompanies and integrates. That's what they say. And so they, they're looking for a way, they say here, to make the celebration of the liturgy or the Eucharist as widely available as possible, broadly available as possible. But remember, the liturgy they want to be as broadly available as possible is going to be the pagan liturgy based upon the pagan belief of the indigenous peoples of the Amazon and their native religions. And so the ministers who are going to conduct these liturgies have to be steeped in the pagan culture of pagan spirituality, pagan theology, pagan rites, and pagan ceremonies. They have to be ordained for this purpose. And we have to produce a lot of them. So this is what the liturgy of the Amazon can, can, uh, can be, as it is performed all over, all over the Amazon and as the influence spreads throughout the world. And that's why they need not only Elders, Amazonian elders, they say, who know this culture, who are married men, but they need women too. They need women also who are conduits of this culture. They need them also to be ordained memory, uh, ministers of these this pagan worship throughout the Amazon. So uh, we ha you have to understand what they're saying here. This is exactly what they're saying. So when people say, oh, my goodness, they're going to uh, favor the ordination of women in the church. Um, and uh, if they approve it in the Amazon, it'll spread, it'll quickly spread to the whole church. Well, wait a minute. These people aren't getting the point. The point is 
that these women are going to be ordained to perform pagan pagan rituals, and they're going to call it Eucharist. They're calling, going to call it liturgy now in the new church. That's the issue. This is what is it at issue here, not just the disciplined. Uh, a disciplinary practice of the church over the centuries of ordaining only men. Of course, it involves doctrinal questions too. But this goes much farther than that. Merely a matter of, quote, ordaining women. It's what it's ordaining the women for. Okay. So, and as leaders of what? One of the recommendations they even make here on... Uh, a rather large section of suggestions in 129. We're getting to the end of the document here. It regards the role of women, and it says that the church must um, embrace a more and more feminine style of acting and of understanding events. Well, I, I guess that if your clergy becomes homosexual, uh, predominantly homosexual, this is exactly what they're doing. I guess, I guess the male clergy, if we can be binary about this, uh, adopts more and more the feminine style of acting and of understanding events. So maybe the document is actually not only prophetic, maybe it's kind of forecasting uh, what they want to accomplish throughout the world, and that is the homosexualization of the clergy. In which case, why don't they go ahead and ordain women to perform pagan rituals? And what do we care? Because this is not the Catholic Church anyway that is saying this. But it does concern us because there's so many Catholic people, people who have the Catholic faith, who are, who are misled by this and who are being held captive by this. Gnostic, modernist. One world religion to come, the religion of the Antichrist. So, in any case, I want to pass on from this, and uh, it talks about the evangelization, evangelization of the cities, the ecumenical and interreligious dialogue, mission of the media and communications, chapter 7, prophetic role of the role, church, and the integral human promotion. Okay, this is the very end of the document. It finally ends up by saying, well, these are the suggestions. Denounce extractivist models that would take wealth from the Amazon. Join ras grassroots social movements. Promote formation, defense, and enforceability of human rights. Listen to the cry of Mother Earth. Promote the dignity and equality of women. Promote a new ecological awareness. Uh, adopt the preferential option for the poor and create networks of collaboration. Okay, these are the recommendations. And finally, the conclusion of this entire assorted document. Throughout its long journey, this working document has listened to the voice of the Amazon in the light of faith. Part one. And it has tried to respond to the cry of the Amazon people and territory for integral ecology. Part two and to seek out new prophetic pathways in the Amazon, part three. These voices of the Amazon call out for a new response to the diverse challenges they ask for new paths to make a kairos possible, a time of grace and hope in the church and for the world. We conclude under the protection of Mary, interesting, they would just say Mary, that's the mother of the Savior, the mother of Christ, 
uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, they say, under the protection of Mary, who is venerated with various titles throughout the Amazon, I'm sure she is, probably incorporated into many of their pagan ceremonies, merely as Mary. We hope that this synod will be a concrete expression of the synodality of the church, reaching outwards so that the full life that Jesus came bring to the world may reach everyone, especially the poor. Here we find the actual gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his work, and his faith uh, completely mimicked and caricaturized. It is a mockery and it is a falsification of the person, uh, the divine person of our Lord, the incarnation, the faith that he has taught, the church that he has established. This is a rejection of all that. The only reason why they invoke the name of Christ is to give this some kind of a veneer or pretense for those who can be fooled by it into thinking that this is Catholic. It is not. And now I want to, I want to make uh, a, a statement here about this that I think is of extreme importance, and that is um, th among those promoting the naturalistic and the pagan practices of the indigenous peoples of the Amazon, uh, uh, very much taking in, in hand this, this matter of, of promoting and almost canonizing the pagan practices of Amazonian rituals and ceremonies and beliefs is something called the Open Society Foundations. Among the things that are central to these, these uh, pagan practices is a hallucinogenic drug so widely spread now and actually being marketed now. It's actually becoming big business. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. Ayahuasca. A-Y-A-H-U-A-S-C-A. -A -A. Ayahuasca. I would presume it is pronounced. A hallucinogenic drug that is uh, produced from a plant of the Amazon forms an integral part of their ceremonial and ritual. And uh, recently, in the capital of Acar, Rio Branco, the second World Ayahuasca Conference took place, and it was sponsored by and promoted by, it was actually, in a sense, staged by the Open Society Foundation. The Open Society, Society Foundation is actually a forerunner of the George Soros Foundations. This is all part of George Soros's work. The Open Society Foundations, look it up. OSF. Check it out. See for yourselves who's behind it, what this is all about. Here's what it says Open Society Foundations. Open Society was established in 1979 when George Soros decided he had enough money. His great success as a hedge fund manager allowed him to pursue his ambition of establishing open societies in place of authoritarian forms of government. Open society is based on the recognition 
that our understanding of the world is inherently imperfect, Soros said. What is imperfect can be improved. He started by supporting scholarships for black students at the University of Cape Town in South Africa and for Eastern European dissidents to study abroad. My success in the financial markets has given me a greater degree of independence than most other people, Soros once wrote. This allows me to take a stand on controversial issues. In fact, it obliges me to do so because others cannot. To learn more, visit www.opensocietyfoundations.org. Now, you know, George Soros transferred billions of dollars into his Open Society Foundations, as the New York Times itself uh, announced. And uh, there's a lot on the, on the Internet about this uh, the transformation that George Soros wants to accomplish in Christian societies or what's left of them is actually horrific and hellific, okay? Um, the, the document that we just read actually at one point refers to the dialogic, uh, dialogic environmentalism, dialogic ecology. Uh, dialogic, um, uh, integral, integral uh, ecology, and so on. Dialogic, that's an interesting expression because it sounds so much like diabolical, not dialogical, diabolical. George Soros is behind that. There's an interesting source of his name in Esperanto. It means, I will raise up to raise up. And it reminds us of the passage from Scripture where that's what Satan said he would do. I will ascend to the heavens. I will take the very throne of God. Soros in Greek, in biblical Greek, means a container of dead men's bones. It's a sarcophagus, Soros. Curious, what? But anyway, Soros has made it very clear that he wants to break down every vestige of Christianity in society. Behind the degradation of Ireland that we've witnessed over the last years, Soros, his money, his friends, they were all behind this, pumping millions of dollars into this effort to destroy Catholicism or the vestiges of it in Ireland. It's not surprising to find him behind this too. You understand what's going on here. He and Francis really are bedfellows. The question is, will Francis actually have the audacity to present this document before the Synod and then actually follow through on it. Will Francis actually have that audacity? Well, unfortunately, the handwriting is on the wall here. St. Pius X in Bishendi said that that is a hallmark of the modernist audacity. Nothing is sacred to them. <clears throat> the only thing that is sacred to a modernist is his own ideas. <clears throat> Everything else must be destroyed. In Pashendi, St. Pius X said that the modernist leaves nothing untouched in the church. Everything must be changed. Now, that's one thing that leads us to believe Francis will have the audacity to push this through. But we also see something else happening. The Novus Ordo conservatives, bishops and cardinals and laity, have now for several years been sounding the alarm about Francis and challenging him. And nothing has happened. 
even accusing him of heresy, even writing to the bishop saying, you must denounce Francis's heresies, nothing happens. No matter what Francis does, no matter what Francis says, there are no consequences. That's the second thing that would embolden him to realize, I can do whatever I want. No one can resist me. Some of their conservative bishops have even come out and said, look, he's the Pope, even if he is a heretic, even if he's teaching heresy, there's nothing we can do. Talk about complete capitulation. And they're saying that this is the church's teaching. This is not the teaching of the Catholic Church. This is not the tradition of the Catholic Church. But this is where they are right now. The conservatives who still have the faith within the Novus Ordo and are still trying to practice the traditional Catholic faith within the Novus Ordo. This is what they've come to. A, a situation, a condition of complete helplessness. And the third reason I think Francis is going to find the audacity to push this through is because of what's happening among the traditional Catholic groups, or those who style themselves traditional Catholic groups, the most significant of which is the Society of St. Pius X, the priestly society, or priestly fraternity, of this, which is known as the SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X. Time after time, okay, Francis has said things and done things, and the Society of St. Pius X is silent. Even when the conservative Novus Ordo people are boldly speaking out and denouncing what Francis is saying against the faith, the Society of St. Pius X keeps silent. Just when they are needed to rally the troops and to lead the way, they are silent. When Francis said that Jesus becomes bread, when Francis said that God is contained within the bread, the Society of St. Pius X says nothing. When the lay people and some of their lower clergy send letters to bishops saying you must denounce Francis's heresies, the Society of St. Pius X at first says nothing. Let's all the controversy erupt, and then it finally unofficially pronounces that it was a bad idea to send that letter, and it was disrespectful. And after all, it wasn't Francis who started all this anyway. De totally diffusing the effort. And with regard to the Amazon Synod, what do you hear from the Society of St. Pius X? Why would they be silent? They are buying a place at the table with Francis. And perhaps this is their best shot it's showing, look, even your own conservative Novus Ordo people, Francis, <clears throat> rail against you and your teachings, but you can count on us. You can count on us. We're not going to make trouble for you. We, we deserve a place in your, in your table. We deserve your approval. Because you're our Holy Father too. And we respect that. <clears throat> not like these, uh, conservative Novus Ordo people who are making so much noise and denouncing you for what you're doing here. Can you imagine Archbishop Lefebvre taking that position? It is inconceivable that Archbishop Lefebvre would have been silent in the face of these things. <clears throat> but the Society of St. Pius X leadership and right down through the ranks, they are silent. 
This is complicit. Qui tacit, placet. He who is silent concurs. And the society, silence of the society of St. Pius X is an abomination. The society of St. Pius X come to the point where they're t- attacking other would-be traditional groups, but they will not denounce Francis. That's how far it's come with them. This ominous silence of surrender, capitulation. So I do believe that Francis will actually impose this uh, on the Senate. He's already made up his mind as to what the result is going to be. He's already determined what the, res- what the final statement is going to be. <clears throat> this is going to be driving the nail into the coffin of faith, into what's left of faith in the, in the Novus Ordo Church. And a major step forward in the uh, realization of the Gnostic environmentalism forecast by Torre Gotti Tedeschi and the one world religion, that is. So, in any case, we must pray, pray seriously. We must attend the true Mass, the traditional Mass, kneel before our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament and beseech Him for deliverance from this evil. We must beseech St. Michael the Archangel's intercession. We must beseech our Blessed Mother as the crusher of all heresies. We must beg her to come to our aid in this. Uh, to our aid personally, to maintain the faith, the, the aid of our loved ones in the hope that they will return to practicing the faith for the, for the entire church, all the souls, especially those who still have the faith but are, are lost in the Amazonian jungles of the Novus Ordo. Truly, uh, the title chosen for this, the beast from the Amazon, applies because the beast of the apocalypse truly wants to emerge out of this document, the Amazonian jungle and its paganism. And uh, we must not let it uh, emerge in our hearts and our souls. Must not let it snatch our faith away. But we must beg God for the souls of those who still want to know the truth, who love the truth, and who have the Catholic faith. We must beg that their eyes will be open and they will see what this is, what they're dealing with in modernism and uh, the beast from the Amazon. God bless you.